This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tech Girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Wednesday, June 27th, 2018. I am in Frankfurt, Germany, with two very special guests. I've got Jason Cipriani here. Hello. And I have Peter Gordon here, and Peter Gordon is from Huawei. I am. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Jason, who do you write for these days? I freelance for a bunch of different places. That's ZDNet, right. CNET, uh, IGN, TechRadar. You've been everywhere. Can we Mashable just go back in the day. Mashable, Fortune Time. I mean, I, we could probably fill up this entire podcast just talking about places I've freelanced for. You've been around the world. Uh, yes. Yeah, quite literally on this trip. Yeah. Fantastic. So there we go. Um, Peter, I, I want to ask you a little bit about your background because a lot of people will just assume you work for Huawei, whatever. But I think the reason I have you on the show, and I'm grateful you can be on, is because you have this breadth of background in imaging and smartphone imaging. You worked for some pretty interesting companies and some interesting products. Do you want to run us through I, some of them? I have been around a bit myself as well. All right. Yeah, so I've, I've been in the tech industry for just about 15 years. Seen some things. Um, <laughs> I've worked in the past for a, a number of uh, other Asian uh, smartphone manufacturers. Uh, been involved in, in some really interesting projects. Um, some great successes in the past. Uh, I was lucky enough to be involved with the LG Chocolate project. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. That's They're a from, blast from the past, well, right? I, yeah, I sold plenty blast of those. from the past. Yeah. Uh, and also lucky enough to be uh, working at HTC and involved in the uh, 1M7, which I think kind of changed the the shape of things for HTC for a, for a while. So I was quite lucky to to uh, to be in uh, at that time as well. Uh, and now working for Huawei, uh, so I'm I'm part of a, a global team. So I'm a senior global product marketing manager, which a little bit like you. Uh, Miriam, I'm like a bit of an evangelist, yeah, right? Yeah. So I'm the translator, the the guy that that kind of sits um, in between uh, the engineers and and the marketeers, and, and explains <laughs> to the marketeers what the engineers mean when they when they say stuff. Um, but I do that for a number of different uh, stakeholders, I guess would be the term. Um, so I get the privilege to sit and talk with you guys. Um, both before and after launches and and, um, yep. and and also with the carrier networks, our customers, and, and even luckily consumers as well. That's awesome. I, I was privileged not... Uh, yeah, so it was actually last week. One of the things that um, Huawei advocates that all of us do is, is to actually spend some time in a real smartphone store, talking with <laughs> consumers on the street. What do they think about devices what do they think about Huawei um, and, and just kind of learn and and understand so that um, we get a real feeling for what's actually going on that's very cool so um, I want you to walk us through some of the history behind the Huawei Leica partnership and I will preface this by explaining to the listeners I am in Frankfurt for a very specific reason uh, Huawei uh, brought a bunch of us uh, tech journalists out to see the Leica headquarters, to visit Leica headquarters today and get a feel for what Leica does and, and how they do it. And it was really remarkable, right, Jason? It was amazing. It was, I, I yeah. mean, it blew my mind. I'm a, you know, I'm a camera nerd, so it was pretty awesome. And and so, you know, this is also why Peter is here. And uh, and so I, I think the, the listeners would love to hear the story and how did this come about this partnership and you know how did it evolve towards what we have today which is the p20 pro which is what we really want to talk to you and kind of ask you some some questions about because there's so much about this phone that is kind of unknown i mean it's magical it does amazing things but we don't know how it happened so i want to pick your brain about that sure so i mean i can start from huawei's perspective and uh, i know the the guys from Leica are not here to tell their own story but i can give you a little bit of an insight into how sure, that came yeah. about for them as well um I, I guess one of the things that really makes Huawei different is our approach to uh, knowledge and, and partnership within uh, in the business. We have a philosophy called um, combined wisdom. So the understanding is that no single person can know everything. But actually a shared wisdom is far more intuitive and far more, more powerful. And we apply that 
uh, a number of different aspects. A good example of that is actually we have a, uh, a system where we have three rotating chairmen uh, within the organization. So they each take a, a time at the helm of the company um, and, and we get that combined knowledge. But we also do the same thing when it comes to um, our partnership basis as well. Um, at Huawei, we obviously, we can build some amazing technology. We can build some brilliant cameras. Um, but we also know that there are some real experts in photography that have been around for much longer than Huawei has, who has some really great insights. Right. So about four years ago, so 2014, we were looking at how we took the next step in smartphone photography. Mm -hmm. What was it that we could do that really um, defined Huawei as a brand when it came to uh, smartphone photography? Um, so we were looking at, at who else was in that photography space who had a very shared experience and a shared understanding with Huawei. And, and very quickly, we could see that there was one particular brand that actually shared a lot of Huawei's philosophy, not only in terms of its dedication to uh, engineering and its obsession and passion with engineering, because Huawei has been around for 30 years. We were an engineering-based company right. um, making network-based stations, and that's kind of our lifeblood. That, that's what we, we know and, and, and what we feel very, very comfortable with and that, that space that we feel very comfortable with. Uh, and that brand happened to be Leica. Obviously, it's a German brand. Mm -hmm. Their dedication and detail to engineering is second to none. Um, at the same time, uh, it was quite interesting because Leica was seeing the same thing in the photography space as well for themselves. Right. So they've been around for, for quite some time, since uh, 1840s. Wow. So a, a long, long time um, in their business. And they also have this very same approach to Huawei that actually it's the end product. It's the photograph which is the hero out of all of this. Giving a consumer a tool to be able to take the best picture possible was something that both Huawei and, and Leica really truly believed in. Um, so they were also at the same time looking around for um, a new way to kind of develop their business a little bit in terms of how do they help smartphone photography? In what way can they continue to shape and define photography uh, as it morphs and changes and evolves through time? Absolutely. Um, they had a number of opportunities that, that were very different to what we were proposing to them. So a lot of people were discussing just pure licensing deals, and that's what neither Leica nor Huawei really wanted. We wanted a really deep collaboration that, that actually allowed both companies to produce something amazing. Right. Um, the first meeting was quite interesting. <laughs> um, four years ago, and roughly a very similar time, and we know that because, of course, there's World Cup going on. Ah, and right. Also, at the same time of the first meeting, there was also a World Cup going on. And um, the day that the the very first meeting between senior management of both Huawei and Leica um, took place actually here again in, in Wetzlar in, in Germany at the Leitzpark, the Leica's headquarters. It was a very quiet day around there because Germany happened to be playing. <laughs> um, so it was, it was quite an interesting meeting from a Huawei perspective, kind of turning up and, you know, okay, is it normally this quiet here? And, and the Leica guys had to reassure them that no, no, no. no this is quite a unique experience. Right, right. We do have employees. Yeah, we, we, we do have employees. They're just um, busy with football right now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but it actually took two years from that point where we've had that first meeting to the P9, which was the first device which was launched by Huawei with a uh, camera co-engineered by Leica. And that term's very important, actually. It's co-engineered. Right, right. It's a combination of efforts of both companies together hand in hand to produce the camera systems when we put the co-engineered um, by Leica actually on a device. Um, so that two years of engineering, two years of working together, two years of getting to know each other's capabilities, looking at actually how we could combine experiences, expertise from both sides, both Leica and Huawei, into something which was quite remarkable. And that's when we launched the P9. And the P9 was a breakthrough device. I remember being very excited about it. And that was the beginning of my somehow getting the devices from, from Huawei. I did not get 
think I got the Mate 8 was my first, you know, and the P9 really was like, okay. And so, you know, we, we're going to talk more about the P20, but what I actually have a question around the P9 was, who came up with the idea of combining two sensors, a monochrome and a color? Was that a Huawei thing or a Leica thing? It's, as we said, it's a shared engineering. It's looking at actually that end product. Mm -hmm. How do we improve the existing quality of the image, but still deliver? And this is one of the really important things that uh, you will have seen today visiting the, the Lights Park. When you go into their headquarters, it's not a showpiece for cameras. It's not a museum for cameras. Right. It's actually set up as a gallery because they understand that photography has to have character. It has to have personality. Yeah. It has to be emotive. Uh, and there are certain aspects that are born of Leica's specific photographic style uh, that is obviously a lot of it has been in the past monochrome. Oh, based. yeah. I mean, they have a... Not, a not entirely monochrome based, but they have great yeah. expertise in, in black and white photography. They have a monochrome digital camera. It, it's exactly. optimized for black and white photography, which is, exactly. I mean, super awesome because it, we know it's one. super awesome, yeah. right? I mean... Yeah. So so this developed. I mean, we got the the Mate Nine after that, and we got the uh, the P10 and the P10 Plus, and then we got the Mate 10 Pro. Yep. And here we are today with the P20 and P20 Pro. Yeah. And our focus primarily has been on the P20 Pro because it really does push the envelope and innovate, right? Um. I mean, the P20. I think I actually used it quite a bit, and I was really stunned at how much of what I saw in the P20 Pro also came and applied to the P20. But I think the fact that you have that, that massive quad bayer 40 megapixel sensor instead of a regular RGB uh, 12 megapixel on the P20, it makes it very unique. And the, of course the optical We zoom. did really go to town on the Yeah, you, you went nuts. So, uh, and, and it's exciting. I think it's very exciting. Um, so I wanna know, you know, from that perspective, th thanks for the history, because I think a lot of people don't know and don't understand what was the incentive. And I think you made it very, you, you made very clear. Um, I want to know kind of like maybe how you got to the design decisions that were made of, you know, these three lenses. Uh, I mean, I can understand, you know, the monochrome and color combo and adding a zoom to that. That makes sense. But then how, uh, you know, why the 40 megapixel quad buyer instead of, you know, the trigger sensor? Um, you know, how do you come to that? And then you know, how did you come to like only OIS on the main, on the, sorry, on the optical zoom lens, on the tele lens, and then you did these, uh, you know, this incredible system called AIS that, you know, when, when it was pitched to me by Huawei PR, I was like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And I did because I saw it and holy crap balls, it was great. So I, these are some of the things I'm kind of curious, like how did you get there? And then, you know, maybe Jason's got some questions after that. I mean, I, I guess it, it all stems from the philosophy that we have that um, we invest a huge amount in research and development. I mean, over $10 billion last year. Wow. We ranked last year like sixth, I think, in, in terms of ranking of tech companies who are investing in research and development. But that's not done blindly. That, that's very targeted research and development that's done around the world uh, based on consumer insights. It's based on understanding what consumers are not getting right now from current experiences and how to actually answer their pain points, solve those problems for them in sometimes very basic and, and simple ways and others in very intuitive but also simple ways. One of the standout things I think you've probably seen coming in from even from um, the P10 and into uh, the Mate 10 Pro was things like uh, our philosophy around born fast, stay fast, mm -hmm. around actually I don't want my device to slow up over time. Yeah, That's a real issue, right? It's People are using their, so their devices yeah. and, and having it you know, month after month just get laggier and, and laggier. So, so that's one thing that we looked at solving and and. We, use, we started, that's actually where we started using machine learning to understand how we can optimize system performance and, and, and really fine tune that for how you use your device individually. Another pain point, for example, is about battery. Mm -hmm. uh, Mate 10 Pro uh, and then obviously now the P20 series, arguably the best, longest lasting batteries on the market to, today. One of the biggest things that most people have an issue with is either they're, they're hunting around for a charge point day by day or 
in their backpack they've got a uh, a brick of a of a battery pack <laughs> just sitting there waiting for that moment where midway through the day they're going to have to plug their device in. Yeah, um, I, and I have one. It's, and it's gone now yeah, with with Huawei devices. Yeah. So we look at how we can actually solve problems from a consumer perspective. Uh, and we turned that research and development into the photography space as so, well. So what, how did, what were the pain points you identified for photography at the time that the P20 Pro was kind of being ideated? So one of the biggest things is, of course, about low-light photography. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> photography, you want it to be robust. You want to have uh, a camera in your pocket that you know that any time of the day you can put it out and you're going to get a really, really good picture. So we looked at the most um, robust camera system, and, and this is not just talking about just the sensors. It's a combination of actually how we apply the sensors, yeah, optics, how we do the optics, how we run the the dual image signaling processes on the, the Kirin chipset. Mm -hmm. It's then how we also incorporate AI into that. The entire camera ecosystem developed all in one to look at issues that people have when they're taking photographs blurry issues, um, low light issues, and, and trying to use all of our expertise to actually solve those problems. So things like the, the sensor we're talking about, the massive 40 megapixel sensor, but actually the default setting is, is down to 10. Right. Because we are increasing the size of the, the, the pixel. Yeah. And, and uh, you are quite familiar with photography and you know, you understand this and you probably do as well. And it's quite difficult for everybody to understand the game of numbers. Right. People understand a bigger number is better. So yeah, okay, I understand 40 megapixels is better, but right, why, right. why do you do two? And why do you do 10 megapixels? Yeah, yeah. And it's because those pixels are actually almost double the size of the average pixel that is on other smartphones. Correct. Which the size of the pixel equates to how much light can be absorbed by the sensor. And photography is very simple in its science. Light equals photographic information. Mm -hmm. The more light that can be absorbed, the better quality of information that the sensor is able to pass to the, the ISP, to the, the image signaling processor, to then define that image that you see on your screen and is captured. And it's, it's a simple science in that that's not really changed even from when the very first pinhole cameras were, were yeah. developed. It works Absolutely. exactly on the same yeah. principle. Right. It, and that kind of leads into one thing I know we had talked about um, earlier was night mode on, mm -hmm. on the P20 Pro is just ridiculous to take pictures. And so if I'm going to take a night picture on any of the competitors' phones, usually I have to have some sort of tripod and have it set up so the phone is completely still. And because I'm going to have to do some sort of long exposure shot and open up the aperture for you know two or three seconds to collect all the light and any blurriness is going to... Um, come across in that photo where as on the p20 pro i switch to night mode hit a button and even if i'm a bit shaky the picture comes out pretty clear but not only that but i could use that same mode in well-lit conditions and it's not overexposed so can you kind of explain how exactly that happens yeah how does it work i mean i know you can't give us a secret sauce right but i'm really curious like i understand why you did it because it's solved it's the first time in a long time, they've solved a real problem. You don't need a tripod to do a handheld long exposure anymore. And I love that. And it's amazing. Yeah. But how did you implement that? Like, are you just shooting a whole bunch of photos and lining them up in real time using edge detection and AI and whatever? And Because that's the thing that I find kind of magical about it. It is similar to that. So we are using AI an awful lot in that process. Um, so not only are we incorporating the AIS, which is the stabilization, which helps with that handshake. But the AI's capability of recognizing what it's looking at. And mm -hmm. this is one of the things that we developed even from the, the, the Mate 10 Pro, um, which has evolved into what we have in the P20 Pro now, which is called Master AI. Uh, so that kind of gives the camera the ability to understand what it's looking at. So what happens when you're having that between four to six second exposure, so that obviously uh, the shutter is open, light is coming in, the AI is going frame by frame, looking at all the objects that are formed part of that image. It's recognizing the definition of that object. It's understanding edge to edge movement and, and therefore placing that object actually where it should be. Uh, and in doing so, as the light information keeps flooding in and flooding in, 
it's adding that information into what the AI is seeing, defining the edges, so that as the light brightens that image and, and you then night becomes day near enough, the edges of the shapes stay clear, stay defined, uh, and all that blurring is then eradicated. Yeah, no, I mean, it's super effective. Yeah, one of the things I find interesting about it is every time you use it, the countdown timer that pops up on the shutter button is different. So it adapts to every single shot, and it's never the same process every time. It's not just a mode in the camera no. that you hit a button and it follows it no matter what. It, it adapts to whatever you're shooting. Because obviously we have light sensors there right. to assess the, the, the ambient light that's around. Uh, it also incorporates a, uh, a color temperature sensor so that even the light, the very little light that may be around, when the camera captures what it sees, it's very natural to the image that you're actually seeing as well because it's able to assess the true color temperature of the light that's around it. And I, I for those of you listening who don't maybe have, don't have a P20 Pro yet and as, are kind of curious, the other thing that's cool about night mode is that there are, you can override some of it. Like there are settings, you can force the ISO, you can set the duration of the shot. You can also interrupt the shot early by tapping on the, sh on the shutter again. And uh, Peter and I were talking over dinner just now, uh, something that I've done a few times, but I he's encouraging me to do more often. I, I am is encouraging daytime, you to do. Yes. Daytime use of night mode. Yes. It, it's uh, like, sounds counterintuitive. It's HDR on steroids. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Cool. But it is really good for dynamic range. Yeah. yeah. You touched on this a little bit, and I want you to elaborate a little bit uh, on AI. Um, on the AIS, because um, obviously there's OIS on the on the, on the zoom lens, um, but you are and and you know there are rumors that there's OIS on the other two, but that's that you're not whatever it, the rumors are you're, you're not doing that on the other two. Correct. And so We're not the, doing that. so the magic of AIS is really something special. It's the first time I've seen stabilization work so effectively. Uh, literally, when you use the P20 Pro and you kind of bring it up, especially in zoom mode you notice it very obviously where it's like, it's shaky and then all of a sudden, boom, it gets super steady. And it's, I guess when the AIS finally has done enough analysis to kick in. Correct. And, Correct. and so walk us a little bit through, obviously that's being used in night mode too, but walk us through some of the things that were done uh, to, to come up with this system because it's, it's really, really, I think it's a totally competitive differentiator for you guys. It is, it's a really interesting system. Uh, again, it's about defining and recognizing the edges of things, the objects that the camera is seeing. Yeah. Um, and, and then being able to say, okay, well, that should be there and it needs to stay exactly where that is. Um, and then it's also about being able to start to be predictive. This is one of the things about artificial intelligence that, that we are evolving a little bit further is its predictive nature. Even though your hand may be moving uh, in quite a random manner, the the whole camera system is able to say, okay, doesn't matter if it moves up or down, I know that this edge stays here. Right, and that's... And, and, and it locks it in on, on that. And the way to really, really see this is to, to go into your five times zoom. Yeah. So we've spoken about that. the telephoto yeah. lens. I mean, you obviously have three times optical zoom, but then when you go into five times, I mean, that's a, that's a, a lossless zoom at a greater distance than the majority on the market. For sure. And, and you'd think at that point, that's when your handshake is going to be the most acute. Uh -huh. and, and as you say, after a couple of seconds, the whole AIS really gets to grips with what's going on, and then you just see the shot solidify. Right. It, it stabilizes, and it's really, really clear. And interestingly enough, when it's doing that, there's also all sorts of other AI working as well. So if you're, for example, from long distance away, taking a photo of a poster. Yeah. The AI is actually recognizing that what you're photographing is text and therefore it applies the algorithm that it's aware of for text. So it sharpens the edges of that text and makes sure that actually it's clearly defined because it understands what it's actually seeing. Yeah, no, I think it's 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 pretty spectacular and and uh I was wondering, I've always asked myself, you know, again, my engineering brain kicking in, are you guys doing any analysis of the gyro motion as well, in addition to the edge detection? Um, that's a good question that I don't actually know the answer to. Okay, cool. Uh, Jason, you had some questions, I think. Yeah, I think one of my questions is, and, and 
I'm not asking you to go into future products at all. I just want to get more insight um, into the decision-making process that goes into when to add another lens. I mean, we just had rumors come up in the last couple of days that LG has five lenses coming out on the camera. You guys have three on the P20 Pro. At one point, does it make sense or what considerations go into trying to make sense of when to add another lens? Like, you know... This comes back again to that whole consumer insights and, and understanding the evolution of photography. Sure. Uh, having Leica as a partner is actually brilliant for us because they understand photography. They've been in photography from uh, almost 100 years ago. So the first um, small format Leica camera was produced in 2000, uh, sorry, produced in 1914, the very first one. It's just over uh, 100 years. Um, and photography has changed an awful lot in that time. And actually, photography in the last five years has changed quite dramatically. Um, so it's understanding the requirements of consumers, the requirements of this evolving photography state. And we look at each uh, implementation in isolation and how you know we can, again, address issues that are coming up from consumers in, in what they want from their photographic capability. Um, that's why we, um, we integrated the third camera with P20 Pro, because we saw that, okay, dual camera system's really good, but there are some issues in terms of people not being able to reach that little bit further. Yeah. Um, and, and that telephoto lens is is fantastic. The the times that I've used it, and it's, you, you think, you know, when would you use a telephoto lens? Um, I, I've actually used it a couple of times, and this is a really good example. I went on holiday with my family um, a couple of weeks ago to to Northern France, and Quite randomly, I was leaning into the front of my car um, and, and I felt something on my shoulder. And my wife said to me, hang on, st stay still. And a very small bird had just come and landed on my shoulder. Oh, wow. And I'm like, what's going And I turned and the, the bird flew off and, and it landed in a bush, like a, about five or six meters behind me. And I thought, well, if I move, it's going to fly off. But I want to have a photo of that because I want to say that right. that landed on my... So out came my P20 <laughs> Pro. Out came the zoom. Without needing to move, yeah. I was able to actually get much, much closer yeah, no. and take a photo of that little tiny bird that had just been on my shoulder. I think the only other question I have is uh, more of a software-based question in regards to, I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking about how great of a camera the P20 Pro is, um, but it's a smartphone at the same time, so there's software driving a lot of shortcuts and various things. Uh, right now, you have a volume button shortcut to launch the camera when the phone is locked. So you yeah. double press the volume down button, camera launches, start shooting. Um, what are the chances of getting that move to the power button that's an all-time camera shortcut? So whether the phone's unlocked, in use, use cases, I'm in messages, texting someone, bird lands on my shoulder and <laughs> flies off and I wanna take a quick picture instead of hitting home button, finding the camera app, launching it, taking a picture, double tap the power button, my camera's launched, ready to go. I mean. Obviously, we do take consumer feedback very seriously, and we, we look at how we can um, we can work with the trends that are coming up. If we see this is something that's a, a major issue, then then um, obviously that's something that will feature in our considerations. Uh, already, as you said, we have the double tap on the volume down key. That right. if the device is off, actually, it's super super quick. Zero point yeah. three of a second to 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 actually open. And we've got a quad focus system as well. So there's four types of autofocus working on the, 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 the camera. So even in that 0 0.3 of a second, camera's focused already and taken a perfectly crystal clear shot, which is, which is quite amazing. Um, and when you're in the camera app itself, obviously you can then choose volume keys, can do things like sure. zoom in, zoom out, and, and you can take a photo or when you're in the, the shutter camera button. app. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I understand your personal pain point on the bird yeah, the bird story, being able to... I, mean, uh, I, I think if I had to make a wish list for like the P30 or maybe the Mate uh, you know, 20 or whatever... Do, do I need to get my pad out now? Well, you know, <laughs> just, I mean, just so that I can take uh, notes. It's, it's, it's going to be on, on audio, so you, okay. you know... Uh, I mean, I would say um, I would add a fourth lens in the back that's a wide angle, okay. like LG is doing, because I find that I'm often in certain situations where I'm close up as a journalist to something and I need to yeah. take a photo and I can't step back because people are going to get in the way. Okay. And uh, LG has delivered very well on that uh, over the last few generations of their products. Of course, they don't have a tele lens, so they're doing it half-assed too. Okay. But I think Telens, the way you're doing it is not half-assed at all. And if you did the same thing with a wide angle on top of that, I think it'd be great. 
The other thing I'd love to see is a dedicated camera button that can be double tap for for startup. For Takes me, that would, and it bro. would have to be dual detent where I can make a camera where I half press and it focuses, and I can lock focus and exposure, and then reframe the shot really quickly. Because as as a photographer, uh, both camera, uh, real camera and 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 phone, honestly, that's one of the most instinctual, natural way of of reframing a shot is you focus in the middle and you half press and you just refocus. Now the average person won't care, but I think the average person, if there's a lot of things in the P20 Pro that we're seeing that are super creative product things, but at the same time you're addressing the just mash the button and get a good picture audience, right? And I think you could expand that by having that dedicated button. I mean, basically, if LG and Samsung can put a dedicated assistant button, you can put a dedicated That is not button. used at all. <laughs> I think it's an interesting point you made there about the, the, the kind of philosophy that we're approaching when it comes to photography in, in its instances is that single press of a, of a shutter button, the end result, we don't need, we don't want people to have to overthink their photography. Just press that shutter button and know and trust that you've got an image in your gallery that looks fantastic, yeah. that a professional would be proud of, and that you can post immediately without needing to do any editing, to do anything straight away. And I, and I think that's the panacea for a lot of consumers is they just want to be able to press that shutter button and know they can post instantly. And, and P20 Pro is perfect for that with the combination that we've got of AI, mm -hmm. not only recognizing all the different scenes and objects that we do and therefore tuning the, the image capability for that, but then also things like even the little bit of a assistance that we give you. Because one of the things we haven't spoken about yet is, is the fact that actually we can provide or AI can provide on our cameras the ability to guide a novice photographer into how to get a much better picture. Like a, if we're taking a group shot, for example, um, a simple mistake, and I would still consider myself to be a fairly novice photographer. Simple mistake is you think that you've got a group of people and you need to fill your screen with that group of people to get a really good shot. Right. Now, actually, because of the work that we've been doing in the aesthetics of photography alongside Leica, is actually to understand that if you just took a little bit of a step back um, and gave some space around that group, it actually makes a much nicer picture. Uh, and to give you that guide, you, there's yeah, a little you, rectangle know, which appears totally. and it prompts you. It says, actually, you know, put these people inside this rectangle and the image that results from that is actually going to look much, much nicer. And it's things like that that I think is, is really resonates with people. How to really take amazing photos and not need to be a, uh, an expert photographer. Absolutely. I think it's, it's always very tough. You know, I think you see it in Apple products right their camera is really good but it's really optimized for the basic use right you know you yeah, smash the right. button but those of us who want to be more creative really struggle with an iphone because we know it's capable of some really good things but we don't you have to install third-party apps and, and it's never the same experience apps to get. whereas you know with you you know your phone you know you know you can, both sides are served Yep. And and I we know have it, the pro mode. And it's hard, but it, and, and I know it's so it's it's hard when I say, you know, add a shot, double shot and key because that, that might have confusion to the customer. I get it all that. But I think that, you know, these are the things I would do. Wide angle lens, dedicated shutter button, and there's very little else I'm unhappy about. I mean, the a lot of the software stuff you do right now, all the AI based stuff, is only gonna get better. Processors are gonna be faster. ISP is gonna be gonna crunch even more numbers. So you, you can't go wrong. In terms of hardware, I think you have the, the right recipe. So that's I'm 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 looking forward to what comes out of the next. But remember, generation. hardware is only one part of exactly. the, the whole yeah, equation. Yeah, absolutely. So we have an eye on that, but then we're thinking about everything else, including software, including AI, including lenses and everything, and, and <laughs> being able to just come up with the 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 best camera possible. Fantastic. Well, listen, uh, Peter, I know you got other things to do. Uh, I really appreciate you being on the show, taking an entire half hour to Thank spend you for with having us me. to like tell us all about like some of the history and what your background was and the P20 Pro and how it came to be and some of the decisions that are made. And, and uh, yeah, as this is, I mean, this is stuff that the, my listeners are going to really enjoy. So thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah. It's always a good time uh, learning something in depth like that. Uh, about, I know about a new phone. Uh, yeah. It's been a pretty eye opening experience over here. Uh, you know, first we're in Milan and now we're in Frankfurt um, and, and the rest of the crew is taking off to Paris tomorrow. Yeah. I'm really jealous about that. <laughs> Damn. Um, 
but I'm heading home. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that Peter's a good guy. It's really interesting input. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed speaking with him this last two or three days and getting to know him. I mean, he his breadth of knowledge is insane. And, you know, we had a Q&A session this afternoon, remember? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and at the Leica thing, just filling in the, the listeners here. Um, and, you know, we asked, we asked some pretty tough questions. Yeah. I mean, it was way more detailed than what we were able to deliver here for you guys. But, um, you know, I asked about, like, why, you know, it's clear to me that there is, you know, OIS modules in the, for the two main sensors as well, uh, main lenses, and that they're not being used. Whether they're actually wired up or not, I don't know. Right. But, but it's clear to me that they are there. And so they, you know, wouldn't elaborate on whether we were right or wrong. Um, but uh, that was a question that came up. That was a pretty big debate for a bit. Uh, we talked about what else? What was what was there? Do you remember? There, there was just a lot about how well Leica and Huawei work together. I mean, they both have teams that travel back and forth between the two locations quite frequently, um, and it seems like it, it. I definitely came in with the impression that it was just a branding type of deal, and maybe Leica kind of gave some advice and input once in a while. Um, and listening to uh, everyone talk during the Q and A today, it. it it's a little bit more than that. It's actually a lot more than that. Yeah, and I, I feel confident in saying that Leica definitely has some input and Huawei definitely has some input and, and they work and I, closely. Absolutely. Another thing that was discussed, by the way, I'm going to fill you in quickly, was that the lenses used on the P20 Pro are actually plastic lenses. Not glass. And they're not manufactured by Leica. Or not Huawei. even by, by Huawei, exactly. They're manufactured by a third-party contractor in Asia uh, on spec. Yep, and uh, the reason for that is volume of manufacturing. We found out today they sold eight or nine million nine P20 million Pros or P20s. P20s. They they didn't General break down category. Yeah, they didn't break down the numbers. Uh, but that's nine million. A lot of effing phones. Okay, and so I mean, we saw like as set up right. It's yeah. super like focused on their high end cameras and lenses and sensors and you know optics and hand painting hand, lenses. you know exactly so yeah. there's no way they could do that kind of volume no way uh, and so it makes perfect sense and it's interesting one of the things that the leica person whose name now escapes me uh what uh, at the q a said was um you know to him or to them to Leica, glass, uh, sorry, plastic is just another kind of material right, yeah. that they categorize as glass. Yeah, yeah, that was when I asked if yeah. there was any differences in designing a lens and considerations they had to take in um, shaving it down and getting it clear enough and all that between plastic and glass. And, and the response was just that. Plastic is another form of glass. Yeah, it's just easier to work with. Right. Um, so there you have it. Uh, so don't necessarily assume that not having glass lenses is a bad thing because we know the P20 Pro can certainly deliver. And I mean, you know, shots. I've got to give kudos to Nokia for the Zeiss lenses on their phones, at least the old phones, where they did use some glass elements sure. and it did add clarity to the photos because I don't think at the time the plastic manufacturing was quite as advanced as it is today. Yeah, lots changed. Yeah, and of course, processing, sensor, everything sure. else. So we got a bunch of news topics, Jason. I'm going to bring them up because uh, we should cover them real quickly. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about the BlackBerry Key 2. I reviewed it for Geek Spin. Yeah, so what did you think of the BlackBerry Key 2? I have one. I did not bring it over here with me. I refuse to try to file something in Europe and time zones being messed up. So um, <laughs> I have very limited hands-on time with it. But what were your thoughts? Um, so, you know, it's a, I mean, I said it in my headline, right? It's, uh, uh, it's, it's a phone for the fans, right? Um, Any BlackBerry right now is a phone for the fans, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, I feel that this one particularly. I feel like, look, last year... So the Priv, let's rewind a bit. The first Android phone, the first BlackBerry phone running Android was the Priv. I mean, that was significant and had like, you know, modern right. features and had a hardware keyboard. And it was a slider, portrait slider. It was a Priv. And it felt to me more like, hey, we're BlackBerry, we made an Android phone. Right. Whereas then the Key 1 came out last year, predecessor to the Key 2. The Key 1 was like, we are... This is us. We made a BlackBerry phone. It just happens to run Android because it's a good OS to have these days because everybody has it and there's a great ecosystem, which is a very big difference between we made an Android phone and we're BlackBerry versus, you know, we're BlackBerry and we used Android to make a phone. Right. And right. so the key one as such, I think, 
uh, was a bit of an icon because it was a breath of fresh air. It was like, we're going to do this the old way, like no sliders. This is just like a, a BlackBerry Bold 9900 or, or like a BlackBerry Classic or even the original Bold 9000 where we have a screen and a keyboard below. And But we're going to try to use all the things that are changed since then to make a phone that's actually good. And I think the key one hit that mark. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. At the time I liked it, um, I felt that it was a little pricey and you know, there were some issues with like low amounts of RAM. And I mean, you look at the reviews from back then, a lot of them agree. So when the Key 2 was announced, we were all, I think as tech journalists, pretty excited because we've all been pretty fond of the Key 1 and we're like, okay, so this is gonna fix some of the problems of right. the Key 2. And in many ways they did. They doubled the RAM, they have a newer processor which is faster and performs better, yet the battery life is just as good. They kept the same size battery, blah, blah, blah. The industrial design on this thing is a huge leap forward. It blows I the felt like the, the Q1 was always a bit frumpy to me. And I said, I used that word in the review where it's like there were so many antenna lines and interrupted and differences in materials and the plastic end cap at the top. It was almost a recycled priv that got smashed somehow yeah. and it just didn't make any sense. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it just, it just was not, yeah, it needed to be polished. Yeah, right. And wow, did they ever polish it. That industrial design on this thing, it's, you know, 7,000 7, series aluminum or 7 series, whatever it's called. It's really nice. And it looks unique and that's another bonus for it, right? And not just because of the keyboard, but because of the industrial design. So that's the good parts of this phone. Battery life, you know, great hardware keyboard, and they've even enhanced with some functionality, which that makes it better as a dedicated shortcut key now, which means you don't have to go back to the launcher to do a shortcut. You can do from any app. Well, and it's dual purpose, right? You, right. you could do a short press or a long press. Correct, yeah. To me, that's a little daunting initially to set up. But right? once you know and you remember, it's right. good, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so that's all very good. But to me, the biggest issue I have with the BlackBerry D2, and I said that in my review, was that the display is the same as last year. It's a bit too small. It was a bit too small then. TCL is the parent company of BlackBerry, makes displays. They're, they make their own displays. They could have made a custom display for this thing. They could have removed the capacitive navigation bar below, above the keyboard and below the screen and made the screen pixels. just a little yeah. while. There's a lot of bezel on that size of the screen so that I could see a 4.7, 4.8, 5-inch even display on this thing if you could make the, the front-facing camera and sensors a little less uh, little narrow. At a notch, why not? <laughs> I, I, I said that in my review. Yeah. But, but, you know, they could have done all this and they could have also, you know, the camera is a dual camera system this year. Uh, it's improved on paper in every way, adds a telelens, which, you know, could be a very good thing. The problem is it has no OIS, first of all. And secondly, at least we'd expect OIS on the main lens. But on top of that, it just doesn't deliver the goods. Like a, a Moto G6 with a Snapdragon 435 is, I honestly take slightly better pictures. <laughs> and, and, so, and so it's like, I'm like, it's 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 frustrating because all of this would be great if the phone cost $450. But it doesn't. But it costs $650. Right. That's flagship money. At that point, you're like, okay, I'm just gonna buy a OnePlus 6 and call it a day. I mean, the OnePlus 6, 530, it gets you Snapdragon 845. You get a great camera this year. Um, You get like everything. But you know what you don't get? What? Keyboard. Oh, a keyboard. Yeah. So that's why I called it, it's the phone for the fans. Yeah, yeah. Because the only people who really care are BlackBerry fans. Right. And, you know, BlackBerry in their marketing material said there's four users we, we you know, kind of imagine for this phone. There's a fan, like people that are all used to Blackberries and want a Blackberry. Then there is like the business or business person who wants the security and privacy features. There's all these extra pieces of software on there that I personally think slow it down and shouldn't be there, but hey, what do I know? Um, and that, that are really, you know, good. And that, 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 that's kind of one of the users they, they imagine, the, 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 the traditional enterprise customer that they've always had. The third one is a customer that wants something different. They want to break the mold from the glass sandwich monoliths, right? But I think that's, that, that, that customer doesn't exist because that customer does not want a hardware key image to differentiate. That customer wants the Oppo Find X, the Vivo Next. They want the phone with the weird camera that pulls 
out and right. it bathes your face in infrared light and unlocks. Like, that's cool. Something's moving forward and not no, kind of exactly. keeping half of it in the yeah. past. And, and, and then finally, the last customer they have is the mess, the messenger customer. Like, I'm on, I'm social mediaing all day. Yeah. I hate to tell you, but the social media people, they want a camera that freaking performs. I mean, Joshua Vergara himself, who is a huge fan of Key One and now the Key Two, you know, said, and and you know is the messaging kind of customer yep. said you know said yeah I can't live with this camera and 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 I don't blame him because it's kind of un it's it's kind of underwhelming and and it's it's six hundred fifty dollars that's the biggest thing the key one was five fifty we could kind of forgive it yeah. also it's a year ago right like, things have changed so drastically in terms of camera imaging every per- aspects of performance in this last year so I'm like ugh. I mean read my review I'll put the link in the show notes um, on Geekspin, it's, you know, I think, you know, I was critical, but I think I was fair. So have a look. Um, And then, yeah, I I think that's my take. You've played with it a little bit. What what was your Uh, general feeling? I spent 10 minutes setting it up. uh, And the first thing that annoyed me and I found amusing is the fact that you have a hardware keyboard, but by default, anytime you activate a text field, the software keyboard pops up until you go in and disable that yeah, feature. Yeah, so that's another thing. What, that's what, a what, default why? feature. Yeah. Why? You and, have and, that and, keyboard. And speaking of which, that's the other thing. I mean, this is not just a, a key two thing. For me, it's a key one thing. Like, I have been wearing glasses since I was born, mm-hmm. right? But I do have reading glasses that are really good, right? Like, my reading glasses give me 20-20 vision. I'm wearing them right now. With those glasses on, I cannot, there's not enough contrast and size on the alt lettering on each key. You know, like the letter, sorry, the letter V has the question mark associated right. with yeah, it as well. Yeah. That little question mark is in there, but it's so faint contrast-wise, even with the backlight on, and and so small that with my reading glasses, in most circumstances, I cannot tell. So now I know that V is the question mark. So I go alt V and I get the question mark. But I pretty much have to memorize every single key. Which is and a process. And when I'm typing really fast, it's really frustrating. Right. Especially because the numpad pad overlaps the QWERTY keyboard, the left side of it. And you know, when you're trying to type a pin or something in your phone, the last thing you want to do is kind of go, which, where, where, how do I line this up again? Yeah. You, you just want something on screen. So half the time you get frustrated and you hit the symbol key, which brings up the virtual it keyboard. It takes up your screen. And then it takes up your screen. And now you now you have a 4.5-inch screen with like a third to more than a third of it used up by the... And so it's like, I don't... Huh. But look, at the same time, I love what BlackBerry is doing. I'm glad they exist. I'm glad they're back. Yes. I'm glad they're doing their thing. I want to support them. What I really want from them, and I said in the review, is like, stop f***ing around. Give us a flagship. Price it for eight fifty. Snapdragon eight forty five. Notch, big display, but still manageable in size. Put the hardware keyboard on there. Put OIS on two lenses. You know, put like eight gigs of RAM. Like, just go nuts. Just, just can do it. Yeah, yeah. You have enough fans, right? Or that's one of the people that they always because they're gonna spend the money anyway. Exactly. You may as well take advantage of it. Like, it's kind of this hybrid between a flagship and pricing, and 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 a mid ranger and its feature set. And it does some things really well, like performance and battery life, but then it does other things like camera and display kind of meh. And for TCL, who's a display company, like, how can you do a meh display? Like, again, the the Alcatel 3V, also made by TCL, Mm -hmm. which is a $150 budget phone, has a better display. (laughs) And it's because TCL has a better display than the freaking BlackBerry Key 2. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. It is painful. The other hang-up I have, and this goes for all Blackberries, clear back to the passport, <laughs> uh, is just how, how, um, what do I want to say? How rude, no, how unforgiving physical keyboards are. Yeah. I'm used to hammering away on glass, and that software is going to figure out whatever the hell I'm trying to say. Yeah. Where, and I get there's autocorrect and then swipe, swipe and all this. And yeah. But look, I still have to be pretty damn precise on a physical keyboard to feel like I'm actually doing something and not just mashing buttons with my thumbs and hoping something happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But all that said, um, and even hearing your very candid feedback, I I look forward to getting back home in the States and spending some quality time with the key too. Blackberries always have a soft spot in my heart. I mean, that's... I started writing about Blackberries. That's how I got into this in, in the beginning. So there's a, you know, there's always I, a spot there. I'm just worried that this wasn't enough of an effort. It didn't correct enough enough of the things we, we had issues with last year. 
And, and because of that, they can't ride alone on the We Have Fans coattails. Well, I mean, but you could have said that at any given point in the yeah, last... Yeah, but last year, at least, it was the first. And there was, there was an... Ex I think when I see the media who are on this trip, who are all reviewing the key two, there's a whole yeah, bunch of there us. There was like 15 of them on the trip. And, and we, we should have made a pile tomorrow. I'll take a photo. I promise. Uh, but like it's it's like I feel like you know we are not as excited this time around. Last year we really were. We were all at Google I/O using our Q ones, yes. and the Google PR people didn't know what to make of us. They're like, wait a minute, why aren't you using your pixels? Right. You know. Um, but it's just it's just weird. It's like hard to explain. But it's like some of the excitement is gone, and and that doesn't mean they're not going to sell them. It doesn't mean they're not going to address their core market. But I'm just concerned that to some extent I. I, I, I look, I could be wrong, but I think as tech journalists do have some some influence in what we say, at least the tech savvy and early adopters who squarely overlap those Blackberry fan, I hate to tell you. <laughs> right. We are gonna influence them somewhat. And yes, of course, they're still gonna go for the hardware keyboard, but how long can you kind of sacrifice the other stuff? I, I agree with you hundred percent. There would definitely was a meh kind of feeling to the key to this. I year. mean, I would rather them, you know, I put Three gigs of RAM, a Snapdragon four uh, four thirty five. Like scale it down in performance, make it out of plastic or something, or right, half yeah. metal, half plastic, like uh, Moto does with some of their cheaper phones, and sell it as a curve replacement yeah. for three hundred, two fifty, three hundred bucks. Then at least it'd be like okay, you've got a little corner of the market. You there. still have your keyboard. You still have your security. Yeah. How about it? Go, but then I would do that 845 monster as yeah. well. But like that, in you're trying to address the two sides with one device, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's the diluting is, the whole thing. Yeah, the balancing axis. Anyway, we got more stuff. You touched on this before. I'm not doing these in order, but you uh, touched on the V40 rumors with five cameras. And I just wanted to point out the five cameras mean two in the front, three in the back. So it doesn't right. really, it's still three in the back, like the Huawei P20 Pro. It has four, but you said three, but it's four if you count the front. So this is five coming right. two yeah, in the front. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, this is a rumor we don't know, but I this doesn't surprise me. The V10 had two dual front cameras. The HTC 12 has dual front cameras. It's no surprise that somebody would do that. And then, of all people, LG. And then they're going to keep the same arrangement in the back. In the back, they're probably going to have the wide, maybe a tele, and a regular, which would be cool. I love the wide. It, I love the wide. I hope they don't get rid of the wide, but they, they do need to add a tele. Yeah, they do. So they I think do. that's what they're going to do. We're going to get... Normal wide tele in the back, and then we're gonna get dual camera in the front, possibly to do what um, what a lot of other people are doing with uh, like like Apple with Face ID, like depth perception using two cameras instead of Face using a, in, yeah. instead of like projecting an array like Connect style. Uh, and related to that, we got two other news items. And I, by the way, I'll put links to the LG rumors down below. The two related items is that the Pixel Three and Pixel Three XL renders that have been circulating have also showed dual front cameras have. for probably what I think is going to be a real solid face unlock that can be used for payments. Hopefully that's what I want. That, that would be amazing. Uh, these renders, if this is what ends up coming out in October or what, whenever it is that Google's ready to refresh the Pixel line, if they're legit, um, I'm going to be pretty excited. Me too. This looks. So, so just walk the listeners through what we've seen. We've seen a, essentially a uh, the Pixel 3 looks like a Pixel 2 XL, but shrunk down. Right, yeah, And then yeah, yeah. the Pixel 3 XL has a notch. It has, yeah, it has a notch, and you could very, in the renders at least, you could very clearly see the two lenses. The uh, Pixel 3 looks kind of like, actually, my first initial thought when I saw it was a Galaxy S9. Oh, yeah, you're right, because does it have the curved edges? It does look like it has curved edges, and I don't know if it's just the way the render comes across, but uh, that was immediately what I thought, and off... To the left on the top bezel are the two cameras um, there as well. But yeah, there's a pretty hefty notch on the Pixel 3 XL, I would say. Appear uh, to both have USB-C and what, 18 by 9 aspect ratio? Probably 19 by 9 on Nin the one with a notch is what I'm getting, best okay. guessing. Because yeah, that's yeah. what seems to be the trend. Up to 19.5 by 9 on some devices. Oh, wow. Like oh, the wow. G7 from oh, LG. Yeah, the so, ThinQ. So, I, yeah, the ThinQ. Oh, God, this branding. <laughs> no. I mean, that Beast 40 is going to be called ThinQ. You know it, because they're going to stick with that stupid branding. What are they thinking? Uh, but um, anyway, it looks interesting. These are rumors. Uh, and again, so we're kind of all talking about the same dual front cameras, Face ID. Vivo showed a new Face ID system that is very similar to what Apple's doing, uh, using a dot projector uh, and then getting time of flight data back. 
like, and so this is interesting because, like, I wonder how much patent infringement is going on here. Right. Yeah, a, right. but who cares because it's Vivo and it's probably only going to make it to China. <laughs> right. But B, uh, I hope it actually does get it outside of China. But B, the other thing that I think is interesting about this is that they claim they can recognize a face up to 30 feet away. Was it 30 feet or three meters? Uh, yeah, that, that would be 10 feet away then. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I don't remember. But it's, so it's, it's, it's a distance that is like, wow. It's ridiculous. And it uses 10 times the amount of dots that right. Face ID uses Correct. on, or uh, Apple uses in Face ID, which, look, Face Unlock in, in situations like this is amazing. It I'm is. all for technology like this. And I hope, like you said, it makes it out of China. I mean, for me, the, the thing that's been bugging me about all these Face Unlock things for Android so far is none of them None of them, except for maybe the Oppo Find X, which is supposed to be coming to the US, so we'll find out when it does. That's the only one that I know of that's using something that really does measure depth. It's not right. a dot grid based, but it's a little bit more secure. None of them let you do payment with Face Unlock. Mm -hmm. Apple is the only one. To me, that's when we have that in the Android world, potentially augmented with a under the screen or in the back fingerprint reader, because that way it gives you people options, because Android is all about options. That's when we've hit the, the jackpot. Because to me, that's almost a year in the making now because nobody's managed to match Apple yet. And so if this is true, what Vivo is, well, I mean, I'm sure it's true, but if Vivo can yeah, actually they showed it like, off. Can, yeah, if they can actually bring it to us, then, you yeah. know. Yeah, well, Look, it's a super exciting year, I think. I mean, seriously, between like everybody going all screen or all screen partially with a notch, and sliding cameras, face scanners. <laughs> right, I right. mean, like it's if you had told me like twenty years ago, ten years ago that this was that two thousand and eighteen was going to be this pivotal year. Three years ago, right? You would have told Even me three years ago. I was going to be unlocking my face with a dot projector that was doing all like this a, crazy fancy shit on my face. I would have told you, nope, that's not happening. Nope, that's not and, happening. And here we are with not only what Apple does, but with what Vivo can now do. It is and crazy. In a short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thank God. It's like exciting. Uh, so now we've got some other things I want to briefly touch about. So uh, Galaxy Note 9 is going to launch on August 9th in New York City. We all Brooklyn. got invites. Brooklyn, in Brooklyn Barclays Center. Uh, That's kind of cool. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it unless they fly me out there, to be honest with you. The uh, teaser was a yellow, yellow button, button, but there's a teaser video as well. Oh, I didn't see it. It's an S Pen. And the button oh, is the, the button on the S Pen. Ah, so it's not sense. a button on the Note 9, ah. which it looked out of place if it, it did, was. Right? And I was thinking, what's please don't add another button. Is it gold or yellow? It's like a, um, yeah, it's like a canary yellow. Maybe they're going to make a yellow note. That, that's all I can come up with. It's a yellow submarine. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, that... well, I'll, I might go if, I, if they are willing to fly me there, which I doubt. But uh, if not, I will watch from the, from the armchair, as they say. <laughs> um, uh, and the other bit of news that I think is interesting is that uh, Qualcomm launched a bunch of new Snapdragon chips in the mid-range. The 632, 439, and 429 chips. And so they're promising, you know more performance, better feature set. Um, you know, they're pin compatible, I believe, the 429 and 439, which means that uh, theoretically a manufacturer could build one phone with two choices of chip for different price points uh, and not have to change anything on their circuit board, which is really cool. I love that Qualcomm does these um, mid-range chips. I mean, I honestly think Qualcomm, it's maybe a lot of chips right now. It's kind of hard to keep track. But that, at the right. same time, you know what? Kudos to them for continuing to push the envelope because that's, I think, what I love about Qualcomm. It's like, oh, we are we want to make Windows 10 PCs running on Qualcomm chips and the 835 wasn't good enough. We'll make a dedicated chip called the 850. Yeah. You know, yeah. screw it. Why not? I mean, that's kind of how they roll. Um, and I love it. And then the other thing, the final thing I kind of want to talk to you, and again, this is something that we've both just been reading the news today about, so this is kind of our commentary on this. Oh, but I have a lot to say about this. I want to hear this. Uh, Google Duplex. So apparently a bunch of journalists got invited to Google's, uh, to various Google, I think there was an East Coast one and a West Coast one, but Sounds to, like it. To, to, to restaurants where they could interact with Google Duplex, the AI that calls uh, shops, and they could be the waiter. And taking and the reservation, respond. and and so, what's your takeaway? Well, reading the couple of articles, uh, it was very clear up front that these were well scripted demos. These weren't just off the cuff. Answer the phone and say whatever the hell you want. 
kind of demos, um, which kind of doesn't, it's nice that Google's showing it off uh, because they took a lot of criticism after I.O. that not a single journalist saw a real demo and the calls were recorded and there's that whole firestorm after I.O. Uh, so it's nice that they're taking steps to proactively uh, tell or, or demonstrate to journalists what's going on with Duplex. Um, but even outside of that, like we're getting closer to it launching. They said it's going to start calling or they said that uh, Duplex is going to start calling and collecting business hours over the next few weeks as they ramp up to release it. But there were some details in the articles about uh, Duplex that hadn't really been made public yet. Some of us knew about it, but you know, it just wasn't public, um, such as businesses can opt out of being part of Google Duplex. Oh, or um, the first thing that the call says is, hey, I'm calling from Google as part of the assistant. I will be recording this call. But that's interesting to me because you need to ask permission before you say. Yeah, and I think I don't remember the exact phrasing, but there was a question in there of if you want to continue, let's talk. Um, or they could just hang up, I presume. I don't know. The, the scripting it, yeah. was... So So it, it makes it clear that I'm recording this call. If you're, you're not cool with it, then end the call. Right. Um, but what I think is most interesting, and, and I during the demo, um, I couldn't help but think this, and I even uh, voiced it at I.O., is John Legend, right? It was John Legend. Yeah. got his own voice. Yeah. And they, they used all this fancy machine learning for him to say, like, a quarter of the phrases that were required previously, and then they went out and created the rest of his voice, right? Yeah. We talk to Google Home and Google Assistant all the time. They yeah. have recordings of our voice. Yeah, for sure. How far away are we from having our own voice voice on Google Call. Assistant? Yeah, right. But wait, even more, how far away are we from having Google Duplex call say, a loved one? Mom, dad, using our voice and having a conversation with that person. Oh, creepy. And then emailing us uh, the footnotes. Just, yeah. It, it, I mean, that's where this stuff is going. And in, in, in not maybe it is. I, it's, it's there. The groundwork's there. But I don't see how it wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, but not, not that I don't want to talk to my mom. I love talking no, to my no, mom. But I mean, but, like but, every technology can be misused, right? In, but is that a misuse? Exactly. And that's the question. Is, is, is it unethical or not? I don't think it is necessarily unethical. I wouldn't go that far. But I think that, yeah, I mean, it's tricky because, again, consent and disclosure is really critical, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if mom picks up the phone, hey, this is Google Assistant calling for Jason, and it's using Jason's voice, that, yeah. Weird. It's very weird. Oh, my God. This is cool, though. I mean, if you think about it, we live in a crazy time. And that's all I could think during the entire demo was, holy, I'm going to never have to talk to a person again on the phone if I really don't want to. And then once the John Legend stuff was announced, I was like, wait a minute. They, <laughs> they have all my recordings in the cloud. Right. This this is very easy for them to do at some point if yeah. they want to flip that switch. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, disclosure is the big part of it. Uh, is And they kind of screwed up in that, right? Yeah. Uh, it, when they announced it at I.O. I'm excited they're getting closer to launching. Me too. But they definitely need to do a better job of communicating. Yeah. And they're trying to do that with what came out today. But also in um, setting proper expectations on both the caller and the receiver's side of, of things. It'd be interesting to see how many restaurants opt out um, and whether it becomes something viable for them. Because if they don't get enough traction, then it might not work. Yeah. And in some conversations I had at I.O. with... Google people, they view this as um, small town, helping small town businesses, small businesses in places where maybe open table doesn't exist, yeah, doesn't yeah. exist, or it's it's too much of a barrier for them to set up open table where Google Assistant, it makes it too easy for the end user to call and make a reservation and it, it benefits them in the end. I, I don't know if I buy all that because I could pick up the phone and make my own reservation just as easy, you know? Hi, I'm Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I'd like to make a reservation <laughs> at, at <right>. your restaurant. <laughs> Screw you! Yeah, right. <laughs> oh boy, I had to bring that up. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, let's wrap it up. I think uh, I would love you to tell the world where they can find you. Uh, as you said, you write for a whole bunch of different publications. I do. You know, everyday common laptop reviews for Tech Radar. I do gaming laptop reviews for IGN. Uh, I do how-to articles for CNET. iOS 12 has been keeping me insanely busy for the past few weeks. Uh, and then I do mobile reviews and news mainly for ZDNet, uh, CNET's right. sister site. And um, But mostly 
Like the easiest place to find my work is on Twitter because I pretty much share everything on there. What's your handle? Mr. Sippy. M-R-C-I-P-P-Y. Mr. Sippy. And you have that as Instagram as well? Instagram, Facebook. Awesome. All the places. You know where to find Jason and you should read his stuff. It's pretty awesome. Uh, And then before I tell you where you find me, because you already know, I should thank our sponsor, audible.com. Oh, nice. Yeah, Audible is a place to go if you want to have a book read to you for whatever reason. Say you're driving and you can't read while driving unless you have a self-driving car. And even then, it's not quite good enough for that yet. Um, If you are flying for a long time and maybe your eyes are tired or you want to go to sleep on the plane having the soothing voice of John Legend read you a book... (laughs) audible.com if you want to maybe go on a run yeah exactly that's a good one or maybe you know you have a disability and you can't really read very well or you get tired or you get migraines from reading uh audible.com so anyway you get the idea they have a lot of books i think they're probably the leader in audiobooks um i love it i like to listen to books when i travel on road trips oh nice uh, you know, jump in the in the camper van, and we just like put on either some podcasts or some uh, or some audiobooks. Um, as you know, uh, the best way you can support the podcast is go in the show notes and click on the link to support the podcast, the Audible link. It's audibletrial.com/mobiletech. That's audibletrial.com/mobiletech. Click on there, and you'll be able to join Audible if you're not a member yet, and we get a little bit of love as in exchange. So it's a win-win for everyone. Um, and every bit helps yeah for sure uh, you guys know where to find me I'm at Tankgirl on Twitter that's T-N-K-G-R-L like the comic book character Tankgirl but without the vowels uh, that's the same on Instagram at T-N-K-G-R-L uh, you will find me on YouTube youtube.com <laughs> slash Uh and that's where you'll find some complimentary videos to this podcast I basically record unboxings and other reviews and you know sometimes some crazy stuff uh, just to kind of like help you along with the podcast, if you're listening to the podcast, you can watch these videos with the sound off and see like an unboxing of the BlackBerry Key 2, for example. So now you know what it looks like. Um, Jason, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, this was fun. That was, was fun. fun. Thank you for asking. Awesome. So stay tuned for another show soon. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.